Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by one of the most memorable chefs of reality TV. He's a chef, culinary consultant, cookbook writer, and philanthropist. His latest project is the cookbook, The Tequila Diet. We welcome, he's not your bitch, bitch, Chef Dave Martin. (laughs) That's right. Hello, everyone. Dave, let's go beyond the mic. The Tequila Diet takes you on a taste sensation ride around Mexican flavors, and it was all a result of Italy? Yes, basically. Isn't that funny? It is. It is. I, I came back feeling a little heavy and went straight to tequila. I mean, I was already, let's be clear, I was already on the tequila train. I pretty much drank tequila and wine. That's, I don't really do anything else. It's pretty limited. It was always there, but it definitely became more dominant. Everybody knows of your history on Top Chef, but before that, you were at the University of the Redlands. What did you take away from your time there? You know, I mean, it was basically just trying to get out with a degree. I actually, I started pre-dental. That lasted like a semester. Oh, yeah, that was not good. We won't go back there. And then I was like, oh, I know how to read and write. So I quickly rolled into English as a major. You left a booming tech center to graduate with honors from Le Cordon Bleu Pasadena. (sighs) What were your dreams growing up and how did they change? I mean, you went from dental to tech to chef. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really unique. And, you know, the tech, I just kind of fell into that because one of my neighbors was a recruiter and said, it's totally fine. This was post-college living on the, on the beach in Newport. And I ended up being extremely successful, having my own company, making a ton, losing it all, and then rebooting into food. And, you know, I was always into food and I grew up with a family where everything was from scratch and I didn't have Oreos and things like that. Was in, worked in restaurants all through high school and college. And I never thought about being a chef because I was like, that's like a horrible job and they don't make any money. For me, it was always about making money, allegedly. So then when everything crashed, I went back to food and decided to go to culinary school. And, you know, I had nothing to lose at that point because it was all gone anyway. Dave, what was your first job in high school and in college? Oh my gosh. My first first was definitely a paper boy. So that was like 15. Yeah. On a moped. Yeah. Paper boy. And then, like, I worked, like, in a pizza joint at a bunch of different odd jobs in college. Like, I was a mover and, you know, every job under the sun. I'd do, like, three jobs in the summer to be able to keep up with all my wealthy friends at private school. So, yeah, I blew dirt, you know, where you put the thing on your back and you blow dirt. Like, yeah, it's, it's a very glamorous, glamorous task. Who were your non-culinary influences growing up? I really was more interested in happy hour. I mean, if I've got to be honest, I mean, I just wasn't really, not that I wasn't inspired. I was inspired. I want to make money, but I just didn't really, I mean, I know that sounds bad. I just, I just kind of wanted to have fun and then make money magically. How did that lack of money give you that hunger to want more and be more? Yeah. I think not having and being around a lot of, you know, haves, you know, which has kind of been my whole life and is in his kind of present day too, in the types of clients that I work for. I'm just a hustler by nature. You know, New York really showed me that I could do it and make it work in the toughest city in the world, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I survived 13 years there and just always like pulling up my bootstraps and kind of just making it happen and figuring it out. So I think not having can really, it can be the motivator to, getting out there and hustling because you, you want to have maybe what others have. Is that, am I answering that? That makes perfect sense. How did your dad help you in your search to discover yourself? He had to give you more than blue eyes and a horrible sense of humor. Yeah, definitely the sense of humor. 
you know, he was kind of from the South. So I got some of my comfort food, like biscuits and gravy and that kind of stuff kind of came from his side. But, you know, I didn't have an ultra close relationship with him. He and my, my parents divorced early and, you know, I went off to college and he passed away very young. So he was a hardworking man and he came from nothing. Like I, after he passed away, I read like a journal that he wrote and like cried for days. I was like, oh wow, my dad really had it bad and was in the military and things like that. I was inspirational in that perspective, um, knowing that my life, wow, was drastically so much better. Even at times I didn't think it was maybe, I'm just never happy with the successes that I have. I'm in therapy. So that is helping, but you know, I'm just never satisfied. It's never good enough for me. So that is always a motivator in life, you know, to always be the best. Chef Dave Martin, author of the Tequila Diet, joins us beyond the mic, and it's time for the Rocky Nate. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Yes. Dave, there's no pressure. What's the slot machine you always gravitate to in Las Vegas? Oh, I like the ones where you sit in the chair and like it moves and it makes sounds like, oh, they're crazy. And I've lost like a grand in them. Yeah. The crazy, yeah, bells and whistles. Stupid. Chefs are known to work long hours. So do you fall asleep with the TV or radio still on? If anything, TV, but I've tried to get away from that. But yes, TV. Do you prefer sunny or rainy days? Oh, sunny, sunny. What was the least favorite basket item you found in a chopped basket? Oh, God. That... What was it? Like the bull balls or something ridiculous. What's the one thing you always want to find? That thing that you search for when you go to a farmer's market. I love killer mushrooms. Not, I mean, both kinds, but I really love, you know, wonderful mushrooms. Like I'm a mushroom. I I really love mushrooms. What is your least favorite food? I mean, mayonnaise. I mean, I mean, people think it's a food. It's the grossest thing on the planet, but mayonnaise. How about your favorite ice cream flavor? I'm very simple, maybe like a mint chip. Which chef do you idolize now? You know, I don't like a lot of chefs, but for whatever reason. But one that I have always, you know, even when I was young and eating his restaurants and things like that, and I worked for his catering group in Beverly Hills um, while I was in school, Wolfgang Puck is actually someone who is still hustling, selling pots and pans on HSN or whatever. I mean, he's still going and still out there. And he is a nice man. He's a professional. He He's definitely someone, as well as the two hot tamales, uh, Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger. Like those in the culinary world, those are people that I loved before and ate, with, ate in their restaurants and met them and all of that. And present day, they still have the same value. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another Beyond the Mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app. It's time for the back half with Chef Dave Martin, author of The Tequila Diet Beyond the Mic. Dave, why do you have such a passion for food? I think it's, and this is, I think a lot of chefs have this as in, as part of their DNA, is I like to please people, and I like to make people happy, and I, I that's what I aim to do in everything that I make. I just really, I love <laughs> I love people saying that it's delicious or, and they don't even have to say that just for me, it's the empty plate. It is when I know I've nailed it. And that's my goal of everything is to always have an empty plate. Like I am super neurotic. If like there's 25 people and there's one plate that comes back with stuff on it, I'm just like, 
who is that? I need to go out and see them. So it's, it's very personal to personal to me. So I just, I just love, I love it. I love food. Now talking about neuroses, no matter how hard you try, what's the one thing you struggle cooking? I would say sometimes rice. Like it's really one of the most basic things and I know how to do it. And I've made all these different rices for all these different cultures, but like sometimes I, I, I mix up my ratios. So I would say rice, it's the most basic thing in everyone. And I can still, I can make good rice, but I would say rice. There's something in my brain that makes me like, feel like I can't do it right. You're a hustler. You said it yourself. <laughs> Why was this book the perfect next hustle? You know, it started as a skit and, you know, telling all my friends I was on the tequila diet and then it became this real thing. And I just, the passion in the book for me is, is really, I guess, about my love for Mexico, the people, the culture, the food. It's the region that I know the most about. I mean, I've been to Europe several times, but someone grew up, growing up in Southern California, Mexico was one of the first places I got to go to that was, you know, out of the country, which is kind of like Canada. It's not really... When you're living in SoCal, it's not, but you know what I'm saying. So I think it's really, it was part of what I grew up with and it was very close to me and I, I really love it and I really wanted to represent it the best way possible. You know, especially after, like I said, 13 years in New York, like Mexican food is just, no, it's not really, which is crazy because New York has some of the best food in the world, but Mexican food. I don't need another $6 Al Pastor taco, like, give me a break. So for me, Mexican should be just, you know, real and not fancy. You know, it should be real and true and tacos should be two bucks, not six bucks. Now, food trucks are everywhere offering $20 tacos. Where do you stand on overpriced food? I hate it. And I'll use an example, like French Laundry. We were doing a Napa trip and this whole group was like, we're going one night and I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, you guys go like, I'm good. Like I'm good. Seriously. I'm like, no, no, we want you to go. We're paying for you. We're you're going. I'm like, you have to bring a jacket and shit like that. And I'm like, whatever. So, you know, I did it. You know, I even called the Psalm over and I'm like, I know the wine pairing's like whatever, $800. I said, I know, you know, this menu inside and out. I'm like, what can we do for like 150? And she's like, I got you. And it was the best wine pairing ever. That was a highlight of the meal as well as the dessert course. But anyway, I digress. I hate that shit. And it just did not live up. I'm not, I'd rather have a $2 taco than a thousand dollar a person, whatever, 15 quarts. It, it's just too much. Nothing really stood out. Like I can remember food that I had 40 years ago. So if I don't remember the dishes aside from that meal, like the dessert and the wine, this Sauvignon Blanc from Mexico, that's not good. Like, and to pay 1500 or 1800 a person, it's just so, I can't, I, I can't do, I'm not into the fancy. I just, I, I can't, it, you know, whether even if someone else is paying for it. So I, I definitely, I definitely take issue with that. And it's great. Everyone loves that experience and all that. And that's fine. But for me, I just need a great meal and some great service. You know, I do a lot of fast casual consulting. That's not really the restaurants that I gravitate to because maybe I'm whatever. But when I go out, I, I really, I don't want to order at the counter and take a number. Like I want to have decent service and a great meal at a realistic price. So Dave, where can you find the best bite that you haven't cooked yourself? My least favorite animal is the cow. And my favorite, I love duck, you know, duck, lamb, all of the other venison, ostrich. I love all of those animals. 
So, you know, for me, a duck dish is, is really always a highlight. And I actually had Ed Cotton from Top Chef a couple seasons after me. We were friends in the city. I popped into his restaurant recently and he had a killer duck meatloaf that was just so delicious. And he and I have very similar flavor profiles. He was just at my book launch as well. So for me, duck. And in the city, there's an Asian joint in Chinatown that's been there forever. It's called, I call it Wah Wah. It's W-H-W-A-Y-U-A-N. But their Peking duck is... It's the best in the city, the best in the city. So for me, I would have to say duck is something that when there's duck on a menu, like I'm super drawn to that. I, I love, I love duck in any form, you know, foie gras, terrine, any format. Author of the tequila diet, chef Dave Martin joins us beyond the mic and you're on a tour of nations and their food, Southern barbecue, Southeast Asian and Eastern European. You're a consultant for several restaurants, some successful, some not. Where's the home for your palate? You know, I really, oh gosh, it's, it's very difficult and, you know, it can vary obviously, but I'm huge into Asian food, whether it's Southeast Asia, like I'm all about Asian food. That's definitely one of my favorites. And, you know, when you roll into Indian and places like that, there's, there are similar qualities, you know, in terms of textures and flavor profiles and sweet and salty and all that. Um, so I love foods that have, depth of you know a broad range of flavors you know so definite uh, yeah for some reason asians always asians always there for me i that's really definitely you know i eat pizza like all the time and i love pizza but in terms of the depth of flavor asian the broad rainbow of asian flavors so what's on your favorite pie oh gosh I mean again i'm simple like ice cream i don't like a lot of stuff on my pizza because it makes it heavy so I'm like a spicy set kind of guy, vodka sauce, Ruby Rosa. Like, I love that. That's one of my favorite pies. So less is more. And I love at Emmy Squared the, you know, the curly pepperoni with the Mike's Hot Honey. I mean, I'm, I've been doing Mike's Hot Honey since the day it came out. So I love just very simple, you know, not a lot of cheese, a topping or two so that everything else stands out in its simplicity. The tequila diet has everything from drinks, appetizers, entrees. Mm-hmm. Why did you put these selections of recipes in this book? Um, for me, I wanted it to be a broad catalog of one um, of some of my favorite things that I love and some that are executable. Salsas can be easier for someone that doesn't cook a lot. And, you know, mole is obviously on the more complicated side of things, but it's really some of my favorite things that I've had and that I've been inspired by to learn or figure out how to emulate, which is something that I've done before I was cooking professionally. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real mix of, I think that you can create so many fun, whether it's happy hours, brunches, you know, dinner parties, there's, there's just such a wide array of options for people to kind of mix and match what sounds good to them. And part of what I've done in the book too, is I don't tell you that like the enchilada has to have chicken in it. So the way I wrote the book was sauces and like empanadas, here's the dough, but if you're plant-based, you can add this to it. If you, you know, so I've really kept it open and not forced the cook or the reader to make it this one way. So I think that's kind of unique in a book that Everything isn't written like it's, you know, the tamale pie and it has to be, you know, whatever, the barbacoa beef underneath the masa. You know, there's so much customization available in food and I like to customize. Um, I try not to modify too much when I go places, but, you know, I know that that's how people like to eat. So 
I kind of crafted the book in that manner. You are a people pleaser. Yes. How does simplification of your recipes help your reader and help you? That, and specifically in the cocktail section, right? You know, listen, you can go have a killer cocktail for 30 bucks in the city from a, an amazing mixologist and that's all great. Da, da, da. But the home budding bartender, whatever, may not have the 60 ingredients or, you know, lamb's blood or whatever is needed to make the drink special. So specifically in the cocktail section, you know, I kept everything really like accessible and, and all the way through, you know, and other recipes like the salsas and such that we talk about. So I think that it's important to not overdo it or have too many ingredients or components so that, like I said, there's, there's a range of recipes that can be somewhat easy and, you know, some that have a little more technique. So I just try to help demystify that. And I do a lot with the Instapot in there and kind of have a whole section of how people have to use it. Cause everyone's like, it's one of the things that, you know, in today's, you know, kitchen tools, it's always the Instapot and air fryer. You know, what do you think? You know, the Instapot people are afraid of, and I get that because I was at first, I was like, shit, I, I got to figure this out. So I tried to kind of help demystify that tool because it's amazing for like no soap beans and braised meats. I mean, hello, like, and I'm not doing it because it's faster or whatever. If it weren't the same quality as the other method, like the three or four hour braise, I wouldn't be doing it, but it's the same or better. So, you know, I just like to try to help make things like that approachable recipes and also whether it's a method technique or kitchen gadget, I, I want everyone to be able to, you know, if they have the desire to explore it without being afraid. How's your techniques changed as technology changed over years? Like when the Instapot and sous vide came out, it, it makes you easier and it helps out the chefs, but in a way you lose <laughs> yeah, right, right, something. Right. You know, at first, you know, I mean, one of the first tools that, you know, everyone was using was, you know, the sous vide, you know, blah, 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 you know, all that, which really my favorite application for that device is for custards and brulees and things of that nature, you know, and you can do the reverse meats and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's just great for dessert. That's really kind of all I use it for. Or if I'm at an event without kitchens, I can keep my proteins warm. Um, so I never really went deep on that device. The Instapot, like you said, you know, I was like, Oh God, no, really? Da, da, da. Like, is it going to be good? And then I just started exploring and, then I just kind of found like, wow, you know, and I've done a seven minute cheesecake and things like that, that you can do on the dessert side. But for me, I find that the beans and the braised meats is, is really like, that's kind of what I use it for. And, but it's not a cheat. It's, it's an even better tool. And it's like so easy and it's so clean afterward, you know, and your oven's not on for four hours. And it's like, you know, you can have a killer braised protein in an hour that's off the charts and the oxtail and things take longer, but come on. And then you don't have this huge brazing pan and from cleanup to end product is definitely not a cheat. It's like an advantage. Dave, what does tequila add to a recipe? Again, being French trained and things of that nature, I've always cooked with alcohol and spirits and, you know, obviously in French, it's sherries, Italy, Marsala, you know, all of these different fortified wines and things of that nature. When I started putting the book together and the idea and the concept, I was like, well, I'm going to use tequila in that same fashion in, you know, 95% of the recipes where it really makes a difference. And I kind of use it for deglazing and things of that nature. And you just kind of, kind of like sherry, like let's say lobster bisque, right? Has both sherry and brandy, the real ones and no flour. 
I can taste I, my palate's really good. I mean, it better be. So I, you know, I cook for a living, but I can tell like if someone has not used those when I taste a biscuits, I don't order it in many places, but there is just something that stays way deep in the back that comes through in the final result. And I think the same can apply when you're using, you know, whether it's a silver or an extra añejo based on the dish and the application, there's just something magical that's in the background that just adds a little depth of flavor. If you have a very, you know, if you have a great palate, you kind of taste it, excuse me. So I think that for me, it's used like I was taught uh, in my training years ago to use like fortified wines. What recipe would you have put in the book if there was room, but had to get cut out? Oh gosh. Well, one, listen, I love a good tamale. I grew up when I was a kid, you know, mom's friends making tamales. I have a tamale recipe and it was like four pages. And I was like, because, you know, there's, that's really method and technique. And, you know, you're not going to just make 10. And so I started to look at it and I was like, oh man, I'm like, no one's going to make this. It's kind of like, there's another Mexican cookbook out there right now. And I looked at some of it and I was like, oh my God, like I'm a chef. And I was like, damn, like who's making this a beautiful and amazing cookbook. But I kind of was like, yikes. I'm like, where am I going to find that? And I do it for a living. So that made me kind of think, and I was like, I'm pulling the tamale. So what I did was the masa that I used for that. I turned it into a tamale pie. And I was like, listen, it's the best of both worlds. Here's the masa, which is the best part of the tamale, you know, when it's good. And the filling is too, but sometimes, you know, you know the tamale thing. So that was my way of editing myself and not putting something in that would never be utilized. And I'd waste four pages on something that no one would ever do. But that tamale pie is awesome because that masa is so good with the fat and the fire-roasted tomatoes and it you get all the best part of the tamale, but you save like two days of your life. Chef Dave Martin joins us beyond the mic. And we talked about therapy earlier. <laughs> when and where were you the happiest? I'm definitely, I'm happy now and I'm really working on the being happy thing. You know, I think that's a struggle for everyone, but I do reflect on my golden years. Like when I was 35 you know, making like almost a million bucks a year. This is a long time ago. So it's probably like 5 million today. And, you know, I had the two homes and my successful company and three cars and a personal assistant. I know it sounds very vain or whatever gauche, but that was a really good time. Cause I just was like on top of the world. I was very cool in my own mind. So that is definitely a time that I reflect upon and go, Oh my God, I was so cool then. Well, in my mind, but that was a good time of my life, but I have a great, my life is very good now. So, um, but I do miss all of those nicer things. Chef Dave Martin joins us beyond the mic and chef, how did the pandemic affect you and alter how you view the restaurant business? Gosh, you know, it's, it changed things so much and obviously squashed any, you know, consulting, you know, that is still very flat for me because I think everyone's very apprehensive and, you know, there's no one that wants to work and all this other stuff, which we won't get into all that craziness. But, you know, it just really has changed the landscape in so many ways, but definitely in the food world. And e even still today, you know, like you can't, restaurants, you can't get in because there's no, no one to wait. Like, it's so crazy. Like, I really hate it. And I really hated, like, well, I liked coming out of it, but, like that initial coming out was like so hard because, you know, so many places couldn't be open and they're open three days a week. That was really hard for me because 
when I'm not cooking for myself or other people or for work, I'm out, I'm out eating and drinking. Like that's what I do for fun as mundane as it may sound. So it really, I hated it. It was really hard. I mean, it's definitely much better, but I still feel like it's a little bit muted. What's one thing people don't know about you? That I'm actually not super social. Like I'm not, I'm actually shy. You have Dave's homemade cookbooks, rubs and sauces. How does being an entrepreneur fill your soul and yet consume it at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, like we talked about hustle and figure out something that's going to, you know, take me back to the 35 years. So I'm always, I'm just always trying to, you know, improve, be better and and find the next thing that's going to really push me to the next level. His book is the tequila diet. We welcome chef Dave Martin beyond the mic. And it's time for one big question. The culinary world is usually portrayed as having this dark seedy side with chefs being ego driven. Mm -hmm. You got unscrupulous owners and a number of con men involved in both sides. What is the one lesson you learned that still affects how you do business today? Yes. Um, as someone that has gotten burned a couple times by, you know, restaurant owners, I mean, even with signed contracts and things like that, I actually have a deal right now that from a couple of years ago, I'm still trying to collect payment, even with, it, you know, having the signed contracts and things are very important. And then following through and suing people for their money, they owe you, but you just, always be cautious and, you know, try to follow the rules and do everything that you can, but just know that the bad guys are out there. And I don't have the, you know, I've been successful in other situations, but yeah, it is, it is very, it's very tough. So just always make sure you have a contract, you have it signed, you get your monies and deposits up front and make sure that you're taken care of before you give them the whole kit and caboodle. Don't trust them. Like you know, I hate to say don't trust people, but in the restaurant business, don't trust anyone and make sure you're getting paid and you're getting your money before you, you know, give all the deliverables. He's a hustler by nature. You won't catch him eating anything with mayo in it. <laughs> That's not a food group, by the way. And he loves Wolfgang Puck. His book is The Tequila Diet. Chef Dave Martin, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Sean. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.